Hello, everybody. Welcome to Idol Chat. Thank you for listening. I am Jonathan Idol, a.k.a. Johnny Idol. I hope you are well. And Bessie is here with our final installment of Spooktober. Is that yeah, what it is? Yeah, our Spooktober finale is today. <laughs> this is it. We're in Halloween week, and we thought we'd end off our Spooktober month with uh, some spooky stories. Yeah, we're going to tell some short stories. Yeah. Yeah. So get cozy. Get cozy. Get a blanket, get your warm cider, and listen to us tell you some stories. So first, we are each going to read a very brief Edgar Allan Poe story. Got to start with a classic. Got it. One, one of them, the one that I'm going to read, we're familiar with. The one that you're going to read, we are not familiar with. So that's fun. Some new old Poe. New old Poe. And then yeah. we have some very short stories later we're going to read, and then we're going to end Yeah, we're with, a three-parter today. So we've got yeah. the classics from Poe. We've got some mid-length fiction, modern fiction. And then we have we have those fun two sentence horror stories. Those are so fun. That are my favorite. Those are so fun. Yeah, maybe we should do a giveaway. Best two sentence horror story. All right, and what do they get? Ah, uh, I'm looking around the room. How about? <laughs> why don't we give them a why coffee we, grinder? A mug? No, no. Why don't we give them a? Uh, uh, why don't we picture give, of us? Why don't we give away a? I have an idea. So this is a, a very small spoiler alert, but my my local small business is a restaurant in Agawam. We are going to, <gasps> yeah, shh, don't, guys, the don't, words t- out. don't tell anybody. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so whoever whoever gives us our best, whoever gives us their best two-sentence uh, scary story will win a a. $20 gift card to my local small business, Macho Taco. We'll talk yeah. about that later on, later on, but it's in Agawam, Massachusetts, and we'll get that off to you. So, Never uh, again experience the horror of a poorly made taco. Yeah. Right? It's terrible. Get, you, get yourself some good authentic tacos. Okay. Anyway. I love it. How fun is that? So we're going to start. I am going to read the Edgar Allan Poe classic, The Telltale Heart. Oh, such a good one. It's such a good one. What a treat to have you read me a story. No, I listen, I can. Okay, look, I like to read. Okay, I can speak publicly. This is terrifying to me. I can speak <laughs> publicly with no script all day. Without even thinking about it, it's not a problem. But to sit here and read this thing, and by the way, he it, it reads as if it was written and first published in 1827 Weird. because it was. Okay, <laughs> so it, it reads, it, it's very odd, and this is like a nightmare. But Well, just pretend <laughs> you're, you're sitting here reading me a story. No pressure. Nobody else is here. We're all your friends. We're on your side, Johnny Idol rooting for you today we know you can do it and ironically here's how is this like your two sentence horror story well the the first the first it it, the first line in it speaks exactly about what we just talked about so it's great (laughs) so off we go the telltale heart yeah the telltale heart insert spooky music here true nervous very very dreadfully nervous i had been and am But why will you say that I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. 
Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. Now then, why am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object there was none, passion there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. He had the eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> she stands up and starts stretching. Anyway. Now this is the point you fancied me mad. Madmen know nothing, but you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him, and every night about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it oh so gently. And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed, that no light shone out, and then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening, so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Ha! Would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh so cautiously, cautiously, for the hinges creaked. I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye, and this I did for seven long nights, every night just at midnight, but I found the eye always closed. And so it was impossible to do the work, for it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye, and every morning when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he had passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed to suspect that every night just at 12, I looked in upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than actually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph. To think that there I was, opening the door little by little, and he did not even dream of, any of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly as if startled. Now you may think that I drew back, but no. His room was as black as pitch with the thick darkness. For the shutters were closed fastened through fear of robbers. And so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door and I kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. I had my head in and was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening and the old man sprang up in bed crying out, who's there? I kept quite still and said nothing. For a whole hour I did not move a muscle and in the meantime I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in bed listening just as I have done night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. 
Presently, I heard a slight groan, and I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or of grief. Oh, no. It was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it was welled up from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo, the terrors that distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt and pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise when he had turned in the bed. His fears had been ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy them causeless, but could not. He had been saying to himself, it is nothing but the wind in the chimney. It is only a mouse crossing the floor, or it is merely a cricket which has made a single chirp. Yes, he had been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions, but he had found all in vain. Death in approaching him had stalked with his black shadow before and enveloped the victim, and it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he neither saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I waited a long time very patiently without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern, so I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily until, at length, a single dim ray, like the thread of a spider, shot from out the crevice and fell full upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones, but I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as if by instinct precisely upon the damned spot. And I have not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the sense. Now I say, there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. But even yet I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder, I say louder, every moment. Do you mark me well? I have, I have told you that I am nervous, so I am. And now, at the dead hour of night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. Yet, for some minutes longer, I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder, louder. I thought the heart might burst, and now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leapt into the room. He shrieked once, once only. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. I then smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length, it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If you still think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for concealment of the body. 
The night waned, and I worked hastily, but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head and the arms and the legs. I then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited all between the scantlings. I then replaced all boards so cunningly that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot, whatever. I had been too wary for that. A tub had caught all. Ha <laughs> ha! When I had made an end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart, for what had I now, now to fear? There entered three men who introduced themselves with perfect suavity. That's a great word, suavity. With perfect suavity as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police officer. And they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. I smiled, for what have I to fear? I bade the gentleman welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man, I mentioned, was absent in the country. I took all my visitors all over the house. I bade them search, search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought the chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things, but... Ere long, I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I fancied a ringing in my ears, but still they sat and still chatted. The ringing became more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definiteness until, at length, I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt I now grew pale, but I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice, yet the sound increased, and what could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound, much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. It arose and argued about trifles in a high key and with violent gesticulations, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides. And if excited the fury by the observations of the men, but the noise steadily increased. Oh God, what could I do? I foamed, I raved, I swore, I swung the chair upon which I had been sitting and grated upon the boards, but the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, louder, louder. And still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no, no. They heard, they suspected, they knew. They were making a mockery of, the, of my horror. This I thought, and this I think. But anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die. And now again, hark, louder, 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 louder. Villains, I shrieked. Disassemble no more. I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here. It is the beating of his hideous heart the end wow <laughs> his imagery is amazing yeah it's awesome right man he was a gem he was yeah yeah that was great 
Thanks. Good work. It's a great story. I love it's that a great story. story. So, I mean, he was nuts. The guy's eye bugged him, and I was hearing the, the nuts. The, he said a million times in the beginning he wasn't. You have a good point. <laughs> you make a solid point, Bess. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that. <laughs> that was a really fun one. I'm glad. I'm glad you chose that one. I, when we realized it's we, nice and short and and riveting. It's and at perfect. least it's not a bunch of gibberish. Am I right? <laughs> it was so good. It's, so, it's weird. so good. As soon as we said we were going to do this, I I knew that was the one I wanted to read. So the rantings of a madman. Yes. So vehement that he's not mad. Yeah. But that fucking eye. I mean, to be fair, we never saw the eye. Maybe it was a natural reaction to seeing it. The poor old man. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, what do you got, Bess? So I stumbled upon an Edgar Allan Poe story, short story called The Sphinx. I'm so, I, I mean, this I... This is my first exposure to this story. I have this book. It's the complete tales and poems of Edgar Allan Poe, which I, sadly to admit, I have, I have, I have not read. I just kind of have it. And, and so I'm not familiar. It's a cool book to have, though. It looks it really cool on a bookcase. It really, often it, it, it... Holds up my microphone. It holds up my, yeah, one of our <laughs> microphones weekly. So, <laughs> here it so is. true. So, all right. The Finx. All right. The, the Finx? The Sphinx. I said Finx. <laughs> the Finx. The Finx. The Sphinx. The, the Sphinx. <laughs> here we go. The Sphinx by Edgar Allan Poe. During the dread reign of cholera in New York, I had accepted an invitation of a relative to spend a fortnight with him in the retirement of his cottage or knee on the banks of the Hudson. Here we had around us all the ordinary means of summer amusement, and what with rambling in the woods, sketching, boating, fishing, bathing, music, and books, we should have passed the time pleasantly enough, but for the fearful intelligence which reached us every morning from the populous city, not a day elapsed which did not bring us news of the decease of some acquaintance. Then, as the fatality increased, we learned to expect daily the loss of some friend. At length, we trembled at the approach of every messenger. The very air from the south seemed to us redolent with death. That palsying thought indeed took entire possession of my soul. I could neither speak, think, nor dream of anything else. My host was of a less excitable temperament, and although greatly depressed in spirits, exerted himself to sustain my own. His richly philosophical intellect was not at any time affected by unrealities. To the substances of terror he was sufficiently alive, but of its shadows he had no apprehension. His endeavors to arouse me from the condition of abnormal gloom into which I had fallen were frustrated, in great measure, by certain volumes which I had found in his library. These were of a character to force into germination whatever seeds of hereditary superstition lay latent in my bosom. I had been reading these books without his knowledge, and thus he was often at a loss to account for the forcible impressions which had been made upon my fancy. A favorite topic with me was the popular belief in omens, a belief which, at this one epoch of my life, I was almost seriously disposed to defend. On this subject we had long and animated discussions, he maintaining the utter groundlessness of faith in such matters, I contending that a popular sentiment arising with absolute spontaneity, that is to say without apparent traces of suggestion, had in itself the unmistakable elements of truth, and was entitled to as much respect as that intuition which is the idiosyncrasy of the individual man of genius. The fact is that soon after my arrival at the cottage, there had occurred to myself an incident so entirely inexplicable, and which had 
in so much of the portentous character that I might well have been accused for regarding it as an omen. It appalled and at the same time so confounded and bewildered me that many days elapsed before I could make up my mind to communicate the circumstances to my friend. Near the close of exceedingly warm day, I was sitting, book in hand, at an open window, commanding through long vista of riverbanks a view of the distant hill, the face of which nearest my position had been denuded by what is termed a landslide of the principal portion of its trees. My thoughts had been long wandering from the volume before me to the gloom and desolation of the neighboring city. Uplifting my eyes from the page, they fell upon the naked face of the hill and upon an object, upon some living monster of hideous conformation, which very rapidly made its way from the summit to the bottom, disappearing finally in the dense forest below. As this creature first came in sight, I doubted my own sanity, or at least the evidence of my own eyes, and many minutes passed before I succeeded in convincing myself that I was neither mad nor in a dream. Yet when I described the monster, which I distinctly saw and calmly surveyed through the whole period of its progress, my readers will feel more difficulty in being convinced of these points than even I did myself. Estimating the size of the creature by comparison with the diameter of the large trees near which it passed, the few giants of forest which had escaped the fury of the landslide, I concluded it to be far larger than any ship of the line in existence. I say ship of the line because the shape of the monster suggested the idea the hull of one of our 74 might convey a very tolerable conception of the general outline. The mouth of the animal was situated at the extremity of a probasis some 60 or 70 feet in length and about as thick as the body of an ordinary elephant. Near the root of its trunk was an immense quantity of black shaggy hair more than could have been supplied by the coats of a score of buffaloes. And projecting from this hair, downwardly and laterally, sprang two gleaming tusks, not unlike those of the wild boar, but of infinitely greater dimensions. Extending forward, parallel with the proboscis, and on each side of it, was a giant staff, 30 or 40 feet in length, formed seemingly of pure crystal, and in shape perfect prism. It reflected in the most gorgeous manner the rays of the declining sun. The tusk was fashioned like a wedge with the apex to the earth. From it there were outspread two pairs of wings, each wing nearly 100 yards in length, one pair being placed above the other, and all thickly covered with metal scales, each scale apparently some 10 or 12 feet in diameter. I believe that the upper and lower tiers of wings were connected by a strong chain, but the chief peculiarity of this horrible thing was the representation of a death's head, which covered nearly the whole surface of its breast, and which was as accurately traced in glaring white upon the dark ground of the body, as if it had been there carefully designed by an artist. While I regarded the terrific animal, and more especially the appearance on its breast with a feeling or horror and awe, with a sentiment of forthcoming evil, which I found it impossible to quell by any effort of the reason. I perceived the huge jaws at the extremity of the proboscis suddenly expand themselves, and from there proceeded a sound so loud and so expressive of woe that it struck upon my nerves like a knell, and as the monster disappeared at the foot of the hill, I fell at once fainting to the floor. 
Upon recovering, my first impulse, of course, was to inform my friend of what I had seen and heard, and I can scarcely explain that feeling of repugnance it was, in which, in the end, operated to prevent me. At length, one evening, some three or four days after the occurrence, we were sitting together in the room in which I had seen the apparition. I occupying the same seat at the same window, and he lounging on a sofa near at hand. The association of the place and time impelled me to give him an account of the phenomenon. He heard me to the end, at first laughed heartily, and then lapsed into an excessive grave demeanor, as if my insanity was a thing beyond suspicion. At this instant I again had a distinct view of the monster, to which, with a shout of absolute terror, I now directed his attention. He looked eagerly, but maintained that he saw nothing, although I designated the course of the creature as it made its way down the naked face of the hill. I was now immeasurably alarmed, for I considered the vision either as an omen of my death or worse, as the forerunner of an attack of mania. I threw myself passionately back in the chair and for some moments buried my face in my hands. When I uncovered my eyes, the apparition was no longer present. My host, however, had in some degree resumed the calmness of his demeanor and questioned me very rigorously in respect to the confirmation of the visionary creature. When I had fully satisfied him on his head, he sighed deeply as if relieved of some intolerable burden and went on to talk with what I thought a cruel calmness of various points of speculative philosophy, which had hereto formed subject of discussion between us. I remember his insisting very specifically, among other things, upon the idea that the principal source of error in all human investigations lay in the liability of the understanding to underrate or overrate the importance of an object through mere mismeasurement of its propinquity. To estimate properly, for example, he said, the influence to be exercised on mankind at large by the thorough diffusion of democracy, the distance of the epoch at which such diffusion may possibly be accomplished should not fail to form an item in the estimate. Yet, can you tell me one writer on the subject of government who has ever thought this particular branch of the subject worthy of discussion at all? Here he paused for a moment stepped to a bookcase, and brought forth one of the ordinary synopses of natural history. Requesting me then to exchange seats with him that he might the better distinguish the fine print of the volume, he took my armchair at the window and, opening the book, resumed his discourse very much in the same tone as before. But for your exceeding minuteness, he said, in describing the monster, I might never have had it in my power to demonstrate to you what it was. In the first place, let me read to you a schoolboy account of the genus Sphinx, of the family Crepuscularia, of the order Lepidoptera, of the class of Insectica, or insects. The account runs thus. Four membranous wings covered with little colored scales of metallic appearance, mouth forming a rolled proboscis, produced by an elongation of the jaws, upon the sides of which are found the rudiments of mandibles and downy palpi. The inferior wings retain to the superior by a stiff hair antenna in the form of an elongated club, prismatic, abdomen pointed, 
the death's-headed sphinx has occasionally much terror among the vulgar at times by the melancholy kind of cry which it utters and the insignia of death with which it wears upon its corslet. Here he closed the book and leaned forward in the chair, placing himself accurately in the position which I had occupied at the moment of beholding the monster. Ah, here it is, he presently exclaimed. It is reascending the face of the hill, and a very remarkable-looking creature, I might admit. Still, it is by no means so large or so distant as you imagined it, for the fact is that, as it wriggles its way up its thread, which some spider has wrought along the window sash, I find it to be about the sixteenth of an inch in extreme length, and also about the sixteenth of an inch distant from the pupil of my eye. The end. Okay, wait, so... So this guy, it's during cholera. Yeah. During the cholera outbreak. He goes to his friend's vacation spot to get away from all of that. Yeah. In quarantine, much like we are. Much like we are. (laughs) Yeah, coincidentally, yeah. And boredom sets in and he starts seeing this creature on the side of the hill. He's fascinated and terrified by it. It's humongous compared to everything else around it. And it was a bug on a thread. Yeah, and it was just a little bug uh, right near his face. That's amazing. That's great. It's a great story. And at least, and at least... You know, you didn't pick a story with a with a shitload of really long <laughs> words that haven't been used in over a century. <laughs> uh, it wasn't so bad. No, no, no. It was great. Wow. Thanks for reading that. That's yeah, excellent. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. It was, a, it was a story of perspective. So, I mean, was he bored or was it or was it really like a fever dream because he was also sick? Who knows? Right? Mm. Mm. I bet, you know, we could we could go into debate heatedly. For hours on end about that. <laughs> oh, let's. No. That's, <laughs> that's really great. For another time. That's really awesome. Yeah. What a cool story. I had never heard it before. No, me either. It's a, re- it's a fun little like snapshot story. Just one little moment in time kind of exploited. I like that. Fun. Yeah. I like it. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. All right. On to the horrors of the modern world. All right. I am going to read a great little short story. It's called Escaped, a short story by somebody named C.T. Platt. No idea who they are, but it's great. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, cue creepy music. (laughs) The rain was falling heavily. It was like driving through a thick curtain of water. He eased off the accelerator a little. Had to be careful driving on wild nights like these. The last thing you'd want is to have an accident or breakdown. You just want to be at home on these stormy nights. The thwack-thwack of the windscreen wipers was hypnotic. He stared out into the glow of the headlights. The rain sounded like white noise interference as it battered the car. He was reminded of the opening scenes of a Hitchcock film. Through the wash of the rain, he spotted a figure at the side of the road. The person wore a green parka and had their thumb jerked out. Why on earth would anyone be hitchhiking tonight? Surely you would just stay put until the morning. They must have been in a rush to get where they were going. He signaled down and pulled over. The hitchhiker climbed in. He shut the door quickly, glad to be out of the rain. He pulled his hood back and sighed. He was somewhere in his mid-twenties and had wild red hair and a thick beard. Awful night, eh, said the driver. The hitchhiker held his gaze for long moments. Drops of rainwater trickled down his face. Yes, yes it is. 
The driver pulled out and continued through the storm. The hitcher glanced over his shoulder into the blackness behind them. You okay? The hitcher simply nodded. They drove on in silence for a short while. The BBC radio phone in blaring out from the car's speakers filled in for conversation. They listened to the radio and their own thoughts as they moved on. Where are you headed? asked the driver. North, the hitcher pointed. Are you traveling to visit friends? The driver couldn't tell if that was a yes or a no. He adjusted his tie nervously. The hitcher stared at him in his suit and tie. The hitcher seemed scruffy in comparison in his parka and Pink Floyd t-shirt. Do you work around here? asked the hitcher. Yes, said the driver. I was stuck late at the office. You know how it is. No, not really. Again, they drifted into silence. The talk radio show carried on as they drove through the wind and rain. The hitcher shifted in his seat and stared out the windscreen. No music, the hitcher asked. What? Is there no music we could listen to? I like the radio talk shows. I'm not really a music fan. The hitcher's eyes glazed over for a moment, then he spoke. I like listening to music. It calms me down. The driver said nothing. Several miles later, there was a news bulletin on the radio. The reporter tried to remain professional as she read the announcement. We are getting reports that a patient has escaped from a Manchester psychiatric institution. The man is said to be psychopathic and is said to have a history of murder. The hitcher jabbed a finger on the button on the radio panel. Tinny pop music blurted out from the speakers. The driver stared at his passenger, his question unasked. I hate the news, answered the hitcher. It's so depressing. It brings me down. There is never any good news, is there? The driver did not reply. Don't worry, I'm not the killer, said the hitcher, fidgeting with his coat. No, said the driver. I mean, no, of course you aren't. They drove on listening to the crappy pop music and overexcited radio DJs. The rain pounded on the car. What do you do for a living, asked the driver. The hitcher was quiet for a moment, then he grinned. I'm a writer. Really? How interesting. Have you had anything published? No. As of yet, I'm an undiscovered artist. I'm sure you will make it. What are you working on at the moment? I'm writing a novel. Yes? It's about a serial killer. The driver did not speak. He flicked the talk radio station back on. A man was rambling on with himself about the change in days his wheelie bins were emptied. Where can I drop you? asked the driver. The hitcher said nothing. When the driver glanced around his passenger had his eyes closed, he was either asleep or feigning slumber. They drove on through the storm down snaking lanes. An hour later, the storm still growled and raged. The hitcher looked out the window. The driver steered the car in silence. Another news bulletin came over the radio. We're getting more information on the escaped patient. The killer's name is Simon Hughes. He escaped from the Green Pastures Institute earlier this evening. He is extremely dangerous and completely unpredictable. Simon Hughes made his escape by changing from his hospital issue uniform into a suit and tie and pretending to be one of the medical staff. He stole a car and drove off. The hitcher turned to the driver. What did you say your name was? My name is Simon. The hitcher stared in shock. Simon grinned. The headlights of a passing car glinted off the knife blade in Simon's hand. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> it's great. I like that. Yeah. The whole time you think it's a hitchhiker, but no. Fun. I love a twist ending. Right. That was a great one. I liked it. Good choice. Fun. So I had read the first part of that, but not the ending. Right. I know. Really we great. talked about that, that earlier. Perfect. Yeah. 
As I had right. to, what happened was we had to click and go to another website yeah. in order to read the whole thing. Yeah. It's on it. Yeah. Cool. All right. This one's called Next Time You'll Know Better by I Post at Midnight. Okay. I don't know if that's a Christian name or. I doubt it. No. Okay. Have you ever walked into a room and found a vampire? Yes. Oh. No, not the sexy kind, but a foul creature with bony limbs and ashen skin. The kind that snarls as you enter like a beast about to pounce. The kind that roots you to the spot with its sunken, hypnotic eyes, rendering you unable to flee as you watch the hideous thing uncoil from the shadows. Has your heart started racing though your legs refuse to? Have you felt time slow as the creature crosses the room in darkness in a blink? Have you shuddered with fear when it placed one clawed hand atop your head and another under your chin so it can tilt you, exposing your neck? Have you squirmed as its rough, dry tongue slides down your cheek, over your jaw, to your throat, in a slithering search that's seeking your artery? Have you felt its hot breath release in a hiss against your skin when it probes your pulse? the flow that leads to your brain? Has its tongue rested there, throbbing slightly as if savoring the moment? Have you then experienced a sinking, sucking blackness as you discover that not all vampires feed on blood, some feed on memories? Well, have you? Maybe not. But let me rephrase the question. Have you ever walked into a room and suddenly forgotten why you came in? Whoa! <laughs> nice. <laughs> I do that forty-five times a day. All the time. Yeah. Oh, that's. I a didn't good realize one. there were so many memory vampires. Me either. What are they doing with that memory anyway? <laughs> How like, delicious can it be to take? Like, I was going to get a fork from the drawer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right, is that right. tasty? <laughs> well, like, what is it? What is the? Uh, what is Colin Nelson and what we do yes. in the shadows? What is he a uh, uh, like an energy vampire energy or vampire? Yeah, yeah, and then the he life, meets yeah. that emotional vampire. Right, right. Yeah, so good. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, fun. Kind of a spin on you know an everyday feeling. All right, I'll do one more of these. Great. This one is called "Seeing Red: The First Day of School" by Zenri Zenri. I have no idea how to pronounce Zenri How something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Nailed it. this one almost lost me right in the beginning when i was reading it because it says everyone loves the first day of school right i never did but but (laughs) i could see all right cue the creepy music everyone loves the first day of school right new year new classes new friends it's a day full of potential and hope before all the dreary depression of reality shows up to ruin all the fun i like the first day of school for a different reason though You see, I have a sort of power. When I look at people, I can sense a sort of aura around them, a colored outline based on how long that person has to live. Most everyone I meet around my age is surrounded by a solid green hue, which means they have plenty of time left. A fair amount of them have a yellowish, orangish tinge to their auras, which tends to mean a car crash or some other tragedy. Anything that takes people before their time, as they say, The real fun is when the auras venture into the red end of the spectrum, though. Every now and then, I'll see someone who's basically a walking stoplight. Those are the ones who get murdered or kill themselves. It's such a rush to see them and know their time is numbered. 
With that in mind, I always get to class very early so I can scout out my classmates' fates. The first kid who walked in was basically radiating red. I chuckled to myself, too damn bad, bro. But as people kept walking in, they all had the same intense glow. I finally caught a glimpse of my rose-tinted reflection in the window. But I was too stunned to move. Our professor stepped in and locked the door. His aura was a sickening shade of green. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. That's it. There's the no end. hero in that story. No, there's no hero in that, that story. That guy telling that story. Was I love that. It's great, I love right? that they did that spin. Yeah, fun. All right, I've got one more. Great. It's called, I Hate It When My Brother Charlie Has to Go Away by Hate in Pure Form. I hate it when my brother Charlie has to go away. My parents constantly try to explain to me how sick he is, that I'm lucky for having a brain where all the chemicals flow properly to their des destinations like undammed rivers. When I complain about how bored I am without a little brother to play with, they try to make me feel bad by pointing out that his boredom likely far surpasses mine, considering his confinement to a dark room in an institution. I always beg for them to give him one last chance. Of course they did at first. Charlie's been back home several times, each shorter in duration than the last. Every time, without fail, it all starts again. The neighborhood cats with gorged out eyes showing up in his toy chest. My dad's razors found dropped in the baby slide in the park across the street. My mom's vitamins replaced by bits of dishwasher tablets. My parents are hesitant now, using last chances sparingly. They say his disorder makes him charming, makes it easy for him to fake normalcy and to trick the doctors who care for him into thinking he's ready for rehabilitation. That I will just have to put up with my boredom if it means staying safe from him. I hate it when Charlie has to go away. It makes me have to pretend to be good until he's back. So it's not Charlie. It's not Charlie. Oh, that's great. <gasps> oh, that's so good. And that maybe that's why Charlie bit his finger. Probably. Charlie bit me. You hooded me, Charlie. I hooded Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's awesome. It's a good one, right? All right, so now we get We're on like to our- We're like humming along here, man. Yeah, well, it's We got a lot it. of spook material. We do, yeah. Ready for some toot? Two sentences? Yeah, these are just two sentence like horror stories. Like they're Dude, just, these are great. They're great. They're really, really great. So once again, guys, if you have to give us your best two sentence horror story and you're gonna win a a twenty dollar gift card from uh the place that I'm going to talk about later on today in, in this episode. Sound good? Yeah. Great. I can't wait to win it. <laughs> you're not no, you can't win it. No. Oh. No. Oh. Oh. And I guess it'll have to be. I'm something. gonna I'm gonna make up like 20 fake accounts just to win that. All right, and then you'll just buy me tacos. Yeah, yeah. I'll be like, I'm not hungry here. You use this. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. Ready. There was a picture in my phone of me sleeping. I live alone. Mm. The knife it slices just like butter. I tried to be a loving mother. Oh. My sister says that mommy killed her. Mommy says that I don't have a sister. Who's lying? I know. It's safe to come out now, sweetie, Dad said reassuringly, his blue eyes shining at me through the gap in the bedroom door. He's been saying that for hours, but it doesn't change the fact that my dad's eyes are green. <gasps> oh. 
You hear your mom calling you into the kitchen. As you're headed down the stairs, you hear a whisper from the closet saying, don't go down there, honey. I hear it too. <gasps> if you get scared at night, don't keep your eyes closed for too long. There's a reason you're scared and now you can't see it approach. <laughs> I can't move, breathe, speak, or hear, and it's so dark all the time. If I knew it would be this lonely, I would have been cremated. Ooh. I found a dead body in my trunk today, which is strange because I remember putting two in there yesterday. Oh. <laughs> the doctors told the amputee he might experience a phantom limb from time to time. Ooh. Nobody prepared him for the moments, though, when he felt cold fingers brush across his phantom hand. Ooh. Did you ever see Phantom Limb from the Venture Brothers? No. He's got phantom limbs. Officer, I just looked away for a second and my baby was gone. I sobbed helplessly. That's better. I sounded more convincing this time, I thought with a smile as I finally picked up the phone to call the police. Oof. Ooh. Working the night shift alone tonight, there's a face in the cellar staring at the security camera. <gasps> the heart attack came and went, knocking Mike into unconsciousness. And as he awoke, he could hear the graveside service around him. Somehow the casket was translucent to him, and he recognized some of his friends. But his body would not move, and he realized with terror what death really was. Oof. The grinning face stared at me from the darkness beyond my bedroom window. I live on the 14th floor. The dead are watching us now. That's the good news. <laughs> there was nothing like the laughter of a baby. Unless Aww. it's 1 a.m. and you're home alone. I wish I could remember who's... <laughs> There's a typo here. I think that's the real horror. Well, say, say with a typo, <laughs> please. That'd be great. I wish I could remember whose these people are. They tell me I have Alzheimer's. Oh, it's so sad. That one's sad. That one's sad. And I'll do one more. That's let's horror each, in a different way. Let's each do one more. Okay? Okay, yeah? I have two more. I'll yeah. do two more. All right, I'll do two more as well. All right, all right, all right, cool. Yeah, good. All right. Put back the mirrors. We miss watching you. Ooh. My grandmother told me that it was a gift to see the angel of death in front of people's houses to know that he'd be collecting someone there soon. I thought it was a gift too, up until the day I began to see it in front of every house. Whoa. Whoa. They delivered the mannequins in bubble wrap. Mm. From the main room, I begin to hear popping. You think the mannequins were making popcorn? No, I think, yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. That's really spooky because like you could burn it. When I finally grabbed her in the darkness, I swam back to the surface. It never occurred to me how fast the ice could freeze over. <laughs> I just saw that one. That's great. That's such a good one. All right, one more. There's some really good ones. Good yeah, ones. do one more. You start to drift off into a comfortable sleep when you hear your name being whispered. You live alone. Creepy. Johnny Idol. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So like we said, guys, give us your best two-sentence horror story. I like ones like, um, 
You just finished watching a scary movie. You have to go switch the laundry to the dryer. That happens often. Yeah, yeah, in most this house. of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or or you can't wait to have that ice cream in the freezer. Somebody else ate it. <laughs> <laughs> Mundane horror. <laughs> you, you meet your friends for lunch. The end. <laughs> no, no, no. no, you meet your friends for lunch and open the menu. It's a vegan restaurant. Dun, dun, dun. I'd be okay with that. It's actually. all milk. It's all milk. Yeah. Yeah. They have only celery. Anything mm-hmm. else? Uh, that pretty much wraps it up. That was, we got some good spooks in there. Yeah, good ones. I thought we got a good variety. Give us your two sentence horror stories, guys. They can, they can be good ones or they can be, they um, can be stupid. Yeah. Whatever. They could be just, mundane horror stories too. Yeah. Just whatever. Just, whatever ones we like the best. Just do your thing and somebody's going to get dinner on us. So yeah, right, we have one constant on this podcast and we call it the final three. Pew, 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 pew. All right, these are the final three questions of the podcast. I just wanted to touch on something really quick. I meant to talk about this. We had, I had two guests on, uh, and we'll talk about that in a second. I probably should have uh, talked about this with them. This is for next week's episode, but it, I live in a world where Eddie Van Halen is gone. This yeah. is so weird, man. A hero to you. He, I think that the two people that did the most for the guitar, as far as like rock and roll, the rock and roll guitar, mm. uh, people who... Did did the most uh, like influence and innovation are are Jimi Hendrix and and Eddie Van Halen, I I remember like who puts a guitar solo for the second track on your debut album like the <laughs> balls of that guy I just remember just putting that the needle down it was a needle back then you know the album right, right. And, and hearing Running with the Devil and it was just a game changer for me I was just this I was this nice kid, this scrawny little nerd, and, and, and then I heard Van Halen, and I was still this nice, scrawny little nerd. I just liked loud guitars. So, <laughs> Changed I your know. life in that moment. Yeah, so I just, I, I don't know. I just, I just wanted to, I don't know. I know he, maybe he's listening. Who knows? But I just want to say thank you, Eddie, and you will be very missed. And That's, don't haunt us, please. Please, that'd be great. So the final three questions, and thank you, Eddie. Thank you. Wherever you are, thank you so much. Anyway, the final now three... Now he's, he's Eddie Van Heaven, am I right? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, he did write a song, Running With the Devil, not From the Devil, so... Yeah, they were just running buddies. That's all. That's all. Anyway, final three questions. Well, we, we, the first question is usually, how do you take your coffee? We've been over that. So we've been our doing... Our snack ventures have come to a pause yeah, as we wait for our next package to arrive. What's coming? Do you want to say... I don't remember, so I'm going to choose not to say. Can we order some more pork rinds, please? That'd be great. Yes. That'd be excellent. So good. So good, yeah. So we, but what we have done is we have mastered the art of the fish chowder. Oh, man, you guys. This seafood chowder is like a hug from the inside. It really is. It's so good. We made a huge batch of it the other day, brought it to a bunch of different friends. Yeah. And we made another batch again, so we still have some We're of that We're three leftover. batches in so far. We're three batches. We've done three batches. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good. I think they're getting better as time goes on, they honestly. They really are. This last one, you were, what were you doing? You were doing something. I was posting my mile breakdown videos for my marathon. Yeah, for your marathon, which is, yeah, 
you should, guys should watch those. It's very inspirational and fun, and I and I really I really enjoyed them. It, it's oh, a, it I'm was glad. Re- yeah, really really great. But we didn't have any corn, so I put delicata squash in there instead. Oh, it was sorry. really awesome. It was really really good. Can I just highlight? Can I just give a moment of praise to delicata? Oh my! Because it is overlooked so often. So many people don't even know what it is. But it is the king of squash, if you ask me. It's my new favorite squash. It's so good. You just cut it into rings or chunks, scoop out the seeds, but you eat it skin on, grilled, roasted, whatever. 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 It's so good. It's got this meaty, delicate texture to it. It's and I like that you don't. You can eat the skin. Yeah. A lot of squash. It makes it really eat. easy. Yeah, it makes it. Yeah, it's so good. It's a delicata squash. Great. Yeah, man. Butternut gets all the praise, but butternut nope. is a tough to work with. Well, we have some. Let's have some delicata tonight when we're done with this. Oh, God. We'll do something. I don't know what we're going to do. We'll do something. Sure. Right. Awesome. And then second question. Local business. No, that's a third. Oh, question. that's third question. Have you, I know you've been you've done this a few times, so I I'm know new that. to this. I'm new to this, you guys. Question number two is: What is the last movie you saw? Oh yeah, at our home, movie. Either at home or in the theater. Without any spoilers, do you have any thoughts? <laughs> we have two. We have two. I, I made you sit through Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was so, so comforting to me. Movies like that are so comforting to me. It was great. Just goofy. Yeah. It was nothing really just... It's don't, just a, you don't have to take it seriously. That was on all the time. A bunch of wacky humor. When I was a kid, that was on... They were on all the time. Adam oh, yeah? Costello on every week. Yeah. They're adorable. No, they're great. Lon Chaney Jr. was in it. He played the Wolfman in the 40s and the early 40s. And Bella Lugosi, he was probably the probably the most well-known Dracula from back in the day. And it's it, it's a really, really great thing. So did you enjoy it? I loved it. So fun. So stupid. I loved it. Such a great time. Yeah. You almost killed me. Um, you well, almost what's killed it, me. What's his name? What's Wolfman's name? Lon Chaney. Lon Chaney. Yeah. Almost every line of his in the movie is him fretting about the fact that midnight is coming. The moon is coming. Yeah. The, yeah, moon, the moon is coming and he's going to transform. And it's like, okay, dude, every single day you wake <laughs> up, put on your nice pleated slacks <laughs> Quaff your yeah, hair, perfectly have a nice yeah. lunch, and then and then right after dinner time, you start to sweat and get nervous about the same thing every day of your life. For real? Well, I imagine he worries. <laughs> I imagine he worries about it more than that. More than that. I don't know. know. It kind of gives the impression that he like suddenly realizes, oh my god, night's coming. You know, honey, <laughs> that's going to happen every day. Every day. So they did make a plan. I'm pretty sure, but I, I think with the original, like the Wolf Man, I think it was only on the full moon. I think is when it was, but they change it for yeah, this yeah, every sure, night. Yeah, sure, you know, sure, sure. That's what you said last night. You're like every day he goes about his day in his slacks, and I <laughs> like he even bothers to get dressed. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, at yeah, some yeah. point you're going to lose that. Fun, fun movie though. Go watch that, guys. And then they, they did a whole thing with the monsters. Like they do another one with the mummy. They do another one with the Invisible Man. And yeah, and they're, they're, they're great. I think we're going to catch up on those. I they're think they're fun. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. And then we watched another one last night. We watched on, on Netflix. It was called Rebecca. Rebecca, which is a it's a remake of a movie with uh, Laurence Olivier from the forties. Murder mystery. Yeah, kind no, we of. thought. I thought we thought it was going to be a ghost movie. Yeah. We thought it was going to be about a ghost. I mean, kind kind of of it is, but you don't see apparitions. There's not like a spirit. There's just... An aura. An aura and a strong memory. You're trying to wonder what's going on. Yeah, 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 what happened. 
what is happening. Yeah. Yeah. But check it out, guys. It was it was good. It was decent. Yeah, it was I prefer Abbott and Costello, but you know oh, yeah. that's me. It was good. I think it was a little long. Uh, Rebecca was a little long, uh, but uh, but I but I did enjoy it. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad we watched it. It was a yeah. good time. Yeah. And question number three is: Do you have a local small business that you would like to plug? I have a great one. You do. This was the best. We had a lockdown date day the other day. I found this company called the Essex Steam Train and Riverboat. They do. A bunch of different things, but one of the things they do, especially in the fall, is called a rail bike. So good. It's the coolest thing. So super quarantine appropriate. Yep. We never were around around anybody, really. And we watched them clean the bike, yep. every one of them. Yep. So there are probably, I don't know, eight of these rail bikes sitting on the railroad tracks, uh, the the width of the railroad track, and there it's either a two-person bike sitting next to each other, a four-person bike. They do a quick tutorial. You hop on these rail bikes and you go two miles out and two miles back along this beautiful New England trail. Along the river. Alongside the river. Beautiful foliage looking yeah. coming over you. You're kind of like enveloped by nature. And it's very, very light to moderate activity. But yeah. enough that where you feel like you're outside, you're getting a bunch of fresh air and something different to do. It was so much fun. We had a great time. It was time. the best. And Got was, some really cool photos. Yeah. yeah. It was it was a great time. I really enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you for that, by the way. Oh, it my was gosh. A, it was awesome. It, it was 50 bucks for a two-person bike, which yeah. is super reasonable. It was about an hour. Absolutely about. worth the money. Yeah. Even just, even just to get out and do something different and kind of break the mold was fun. But to have it be so new england it was great when we got there the guy who was taking the paperwork and talking he did not seem like he was enjoying his day at all he was pretty unenthused yeah pretty un. but then as soon as we started going in the guy was great he's joking yeah. around and 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 it was it was really really fun and kind of just engaging told him, yeah yeah it was really good great um so it's called the essex steam train and riverboat in haddam h-a-d-d-a-m connecticut about a 50-minute drive from Springfield area. Yeah. Easy drive. Great experience. Loved Go. it. Loved it. 10 out of 10. 10, 10 out of 10 without even thinking about it. Yep. My local small business, it was already talked about on here one time before. Mark from Two Weeks Notice, and he was on. Yeah. He brought it up. But you guys will hear next week. I have, We already recorded the episode. It's coming out next week. I had uh, two previous guests back on my very good friends both Sonny Goodspeed and Marsha McNeil are both on and we worked out we I hadn't seen Sonny in person in a really long time and he's one of my favorite people and and Marshall we hadn't really been able to hang out with him much either. I know I so badly wished I could have been there yeah we had to go and have a real job and whatnot so, so anyway we so we ordered in in DoorDash we ordered Macho Taco and and yeah. I go. I got some tacos and some these amazing fries and jalapeno poppers and and Marshall got a burrito and whatever and and it was just a it was an all around great experience. So I, that that is my local small business, Macho Taco. They did a great job and we ate Yum. way we ate way too much and then we had to record an episode of the podcast. So it was <laughs> it was an ordeal. But uh, again, you give us your two sentence horror story and the best one, whether it's it's actually scary or whether it's ridiculous you know we have a, a huge fondness for the ridiculousness and you will win a gift certificate yeah if you make me uh nervous to go down and switch the laundry i'd say that's a win 
<laughs> right, right. <laughs> Doesn't take a, much. You will get a gift card from Macho Taco. So anything else, Bess? I think that's it. That's it, right? Yeah, this that was, was a really fun. fun. Happy Spooktober, you guys. This has been my favorite month of the podcast, I think, so far. Mine too. It was a lot of fun. It was great. Love it. I loved it. Love Don't, it. Love you. Love the entertainment. It was great. So fun. Good stuff. So fun. And thank you for all of your contributions. It was really, really great. So please subscribe to Idle Chat Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Pocket Cast, Podcast Addict, who knows where else. I'm sure there's a bunch more out there that we aren't aware of. Please like our pages on Facebook and Twitter, Idle Chat Podcast, and check out the new Instagram, the Idle idle hands guitars on instagram we have a we have some i have a uh, we'll talk about it another time i have a i'm waiting for a kit that i saw that i was really interested in that that i really have no plans for yeah this will be this will be fun because we'll be able to do progress photos along the journey of making it making one right now we just have photos of finished products so it'll be fun to have one that you can kind of watch be made one right now that we can we can um, we can start we can start so great for sure thank you for listening everybody if you're doing anything for halloween please uh have fun and please be safe and we'll talk to you next week thank you bye Mm -hmm.